I love this series, The Kingdom of Heaven is Like. The Kingdom of Heaven is Like. When Corey called me a few weeks ago and he says, I'd like to preach on uh, July 3rd. And I thought, oh, I get to speak to half of the church or less. That's awesome, you know. And he said, well, yeah, you, but please, I want, you to, I want you to bless Riverside. I want you to challenge us on the kingdom of heaven is like. This image says it all. The image that's behind me, the kingdom of heaven is like. Words matter. Images matter. They shape our lives in very profound ways. And we hear the words of Jesus today. Long before he said the kingdom of heaven is like, he said this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Help me, church. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on as it is in stop. If you're like me, I've glossed over that many times I've not allowed it to sit in my soul sitting in our soul thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven and yet I feel the anxiety don't you in our culture don't you feel it aren't you concerned aren't you a bit anxious Let's just get it out on the table. We are. We look at the choices with the upcoming election. We consider the economy. We consider the diversity. We consider the globalness of our own culture. We consider world issues. We consider great big global problems like potable water, clean water. We consider all the stuff. So we look around and go, where is heaven on earth? Our Father who art in heaven, holy, sacred, hallowed be your name. We don't take your name lightly. That's Matthew's version. Hallowed be our name. Thy kingdom, thy rule, thy reign, come on earth as it is in heaven. How does that happen in the midst of all of our church, national, international, and personal anxiety? God's calling you to be a certain kind of person like he calls me, right? Someone has said, your spirituality shows up in what you're losing sleep over. What are you losing sleep over? Oh, brother so-and-so, he's a real spiritual person. Sister so-and-so, she is so spiritual. Okay, sister so-and-so and and brother so-and-so, so-and-so is always a great name for a church member. What are you losing sleep over? Because that's really what's going on with your spirituality and your soul and your angst. And what are you losing sleep over? That's what's really going on, good, bad, and ugly. That's, well, he's so spiritual. A spirituality that can't deal with our anxieties is no helpful spirituality, is it? So ask yourself, what have I been losing sleep over? What's really going on regardless of what I profess, regardless of what I confess? And so Jesus says, I'm concerned. I'm concerned 
when I talk to the Father that heaven come to earth. Heaven come to earth. I want to give you a, a word. Diners. D-I-N-E-R-S. There's some great diners that I've been to. I like those out-of-the-way little places, not just the standard franchise places. And being from Oklahoma originally, we have a lot of those little hole-in-the-wall diners and out-of-the-way places where the food is incredible. And we try to find those, but I don't want to talk just about food and diners. I want D-I-N-E-R-S to represent what we're going through in the middle of the night in our culture. The first one is a culture of dissatisfaction. People that just aren't happy about anything. If you know someone like that, of course it's not you, but if you know someone like that, raise your hand. They're just never happy about anything. Ooh, I saw two elbows going both ways. You know, I I don't know what that means. So dissatisfaction is part of a culture. The second one is radical individualism, D-I, individualism. It's so prized it makes it difficult to know how to be community as God's people because we are so individualistic and the individual is greater than the community and yet God calls us to be community. The third one is narcissism. You know, narcissus looked at his reflection in the water and ended up drowning. He was consumed by himself, the old Greek mythology. But, but narcissistic, everything's just so much about self. It's so consumed with what I want, what I feel. So we got D-I-N-E, entitlement. Oh, I hear it everywhere. Our um, youth this last week went on a trip south of Abilene where they were supposed to kind of live in a third world country and experience that a little bit, except they stayed on buses with air conditioning. Hello. But anyway, you know, they had to cook their own meals. And we realized that some of our kids have grown up in church they haven't cooked a meal in their life. They don't know how. I direct a camp starting next Sunday called Sooner Youth Camp in Ardmore, Oklahoma. To our knowledge, it's the oldest existing Church of Christ camp still in existence. Started in 1947 on the shores of Lake Murray. We have no air conditioning except the director's cabin, of course. <laughs> Shh, don't say that out loud to the kids. And it's because of my medical needs. Okay, Lord, I'm sorry. And, you know, every year we have kids that said, I've never cleaned a toilet. We have a maid that does that. Ooh, I don't want to use that dirty old mop on this floor in the bathroom. I mean, I've never used a mop. I've, I've never, you know, on and on it goes. We're entitled. Entitled with House cleaners, entitled with lawn keepers, entitled with maids, entitled, on and on and on it goes. D-I-N-E is entitlement, and R is the one that shows up today, this day, rebellion glorified. You see it in the election with the candidates, rebellion glorified. You see it in the country in different special groups. It's rebellion. Rebellion 
Rebellion, it's a pejorative word. It's a negative word. It's not a healthy word. Rebel, rebel, rebel. And I'm not talking about normal teenage rebellion here. That can be pretty extreme as well, you know. But rebellion in our culture is glorified. We hold up the most rebellious people as the changers of society. Rebellion glorified. And the last one is S of diners. And you might be surprised how this is a cultural value. These are all cultural values, and it's terrible. We come together as a church around the cross, around the table. S is sarcasm. It destroys marital relationships. It destroys community. When I'm with ministers, guess what we use to deal with our pain in a humorous way, to deal with our struggle, to deal with our frustrations, guess what we use more than anything? Sarcasm. Sarcasm sarcasm covers up dissatisfaction. Sarcasm covers up entitlement. Sarcasm covers up narcissism. Sarcasm is used as a way of communicating. Nobody better at it than teenagers. I'm blessed to have been with Hope Network we have, have 18 partners in the network that help mentor, church, mentor leaders and guide churches in a variety of ways, from interim ministry to consulting. We've been in over 400 churches in three and a half years and worked with over 600 leaders individually. And we're starting to see some themes. I've been a lot with elder groups. A lot. Guess what one of the tendencies is to deal with our pain? You think the ministers have it? Sarcasm. Sarcasm is a cultural value that destroys community and doesn't allow us to label what's really going on in our lives. It happens in our marriages. It happens in our relationships. It happens in our friendships. It is, as one friend of mine that teaches Abilene Christian, he said, it's a spiritual gift for me. And he's kind of tongue-in-cheek about that. He's sarcastic about that. It covers up cynicism. Sometimes it communicates cynicism, doesn't it? You say, I thought we were here to talk about what the kingdom of heaven is like. Yes, but what I'm talking about now is right here on the image. It is upside down. We're the opposite of this. Right? Right? Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like... It's got to invade this. It's got to, it's got to inform this. And this cannot, the city, all that have, it happens in our culture cannot, cannot, cannot sum us. Cannot define us. Cannot be the way that we do life. And yet we're to be salt, light. And I keep thinking of the prayer, heaven on earth how does that happen let me tell you a story you know the story you know it well the kingdom of heaven is like a land owner who went out in his vineyard And after agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, a denarius, less than a dollar in our currency, 
He sent them into his vineyard. It's the time of harvest in the vineyard. And I'm thinking of immigrant workers who work vineyards today in Southern California and in South Texas and even in Abilene, Texas, where produces some of the nation's best wine, ironically enough. I'm thinking and I'm seeing immigrant workers. I'm thinking of people that, that, that they have to go out and recruit more people because it's harvest time and you've got to get the grapes in. You've got to get all the produce from the vineyard. And the guy says, I, I need some more workers. The landowner says, I need some more workers. And so what does he do? He goes in, he finds some people that are standing idle. Idle. Now, is it idle because they're lazy? Is it idle because they didn't get picked? Is it idle because they, no landowner went out and said, hey, come work with me? So he goes out three times. You know it. He goes out at 9 o'clock in the morning, and he goes back, and he tells them, I'll pay you what is right. And he goes out at noon, and he goes out at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And when it comes time at the end of the day to pay these people, the landowner lines them up. And I, I've seen this happen. I've seen it happen in our culture today. When I preached at South MacArthur in Irving, there were people that gathered at gas stations. And not many of us look like that color today. Every morning, hoping for some construction person to put them to work. Some yard man to come by that needed extra help. And they were always paid in Money orders, cash check, and transfer of funds. No. They were paid how? Cash. I've seen it happen. He lines them up. They come to the end of the day. And here, is, here are the people right there in front of me that have worked ever since the morning, early in the morning, and worked so hard. And he starts doling out the money. And this one over here watches. Because this person that came to work at 3 o'clock, surely he's on a, going to get it on a sliding scale. And the landowner pays this man who came to work at 3 and the ones that came to work at 12, and the ones that came to work at 9, the same as the ones that started at 6 a.m. And there's rebellion in the vineyard. Tell me why. D-I-N-E-R-S. Summed up as, that's not fair. Justice was served, and the landowner says, did you not agree to work for this wage? Why are you so envious? Why are you so envious about the, my generosity? And before you go to, well, this is the nature of God. Here's three points for a good sermon. Let's go to lunch. Let that sit for a while because go back to D-I-N-E-R-S. It's all embodied in this. And after that day when those, those workers that had worked since 6 a.m., 12 hours, 
Don't you imagine they're, imagine they're a little bit sarcastic, a little bit entitled, a little bit rebellious, a little bit frustrated at that landowner that paid the person who worked three hours the same as those who worked 12 hours. There's something not right about that. But there's something very godly about this radical, surprising, subversive grace that you're needing and I'm needing. So what do we do? Well, we look at the broader context of Matthew 20, and it started back in Matthew 19 with an understanding that the people that Jesus was dealing with understood this way of thinking better than this way of thinking. How do I know that? Jesus, Matthew 19, 1, some Pharisees asked this question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just for any reason? Now, there's a debate behind that. Jesus gets to the core of it, but he's dealing with the way they process and the way they think. What do they think like? Do they think like the kingdom of heaven? Do they think like God wants them to think? Do they think like the world? The second move then is children were coming to Jesus, Matthew 19. Coming to Jesus. This is the greater context. Children and his own disciples said, get those children away from him. He's got better things to do. And Jesus embraced are they are the disciples? Did they get the nature of what the kingdom was? Did the Pharisees get what the nature of the kingdom was? Or are they just constantly looking for loopholes and legal ways to trap Jesus and to argue with Jesus? And what about the disciples? How could they miss the fact that children are part of the kingdom of God? They don't get the, the nature of the kingdom. And then he comes in, there's a man, a rich young ruler, as we call him. Oh, what, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? See, this is his approach. The question is the wrong question because he's operating from, I've kept all the commandments. I'm a good guy. I, I've lived a pretty good life here, Lord. I've, well, keep the commandments. Well, I've kept all of them since youth up. Then sell everything you have and give to the poor. Well, here we go, kingdom thinking again. And the text says he went away sad, sorrowful is the old King James. Right? Why? Because he could not part with what he felt entitled to. He could not part with his narcissism. He could not part. And you say, boy, that's so sad. And then I look in the mirror and realize I am the disciple. I struggle in the deepest recesses of my heart at 2 o'clock in the morning when I cannot sleep. With D-I-N-E-R-S. But I don't want to. I desperately want to model the grace of God. I had an opportunity yesterday. Karen and I went to our favorite shoe store to get me some new shoes and tennis shoes called Luke's Locker. I love Luke's Locker for running and walking. We go to Fort Worth. We're, we're, we're in there. And, and I have a bad habit of opening my door quickly. And sometimes if there's a door next to me, it might go... Oh, no, I just hit. Well, I didn't think I did this time. And there was a 
handsome young man with a good-looking wife, I assume, in a brand-new Porsche right next to me. Black Porsche, gray Avalon. 2016 Porsche, 2007 gray Avalon. Hello. Get the picture? So I, I nod him a head smile. He rose down to the window. He says, did you intend to hit my car? He doesn't, doesn't know who I am. And I was tired. I wasn't really cranky, but I'm thinking, were you arrogant little And I, I said, I didn't hit you. Sir, I'm not making this up. You open your car door on mine. I'm looking down. I see a dirty Porsche from rain and dust, new tags. I don't see where the car is scratched. And I'm thinking, all right, here it is. Here it is. And I knew I was preaching this text today. It always works that way. Why can't I be something else? Let me preach on something I don't have to do, you know. It's for somebody else. And so... I said, sir, it was not my intention. The carnal side of me says, well, if it was my intention, it had been a lot worse than that. That's the carnal side of me. But, sir, I did not intend to do that. I am so sorry. I walked away. Well, my wife, being a good observer of people, I go in and ask for this particular kind of shoe. She stands and watches the guy sit there for a while. Then he backs out, gets out of his new black Porsche. Now, I'm not, I'm not against Porsches. If the elders here want to give me a Porsche for preaching here, it's fine. All right? I like white better in Texas. But anyway, um, and so Karen says, you know, I was looking at this tag because there's just something about that conversation. When someone starts a conversation, did you intend to hit my car? You're wondering, hmm, what's going on there? He backs out. He gets out of his car. Karen watched him do this. And he looks up and down his car, rubs his car, gets back in, finally pulls away. Karen, being a good accountant she is, took his tag. No, she didn't. But, but the reality is part of me was intention because I wanted to say, well, you fill in the blank. He was gone when we came out, and there was a beautiful red F-150. looked pretty new to me, and I'm thinking, ooh, stay away from that one too, you know. But, you know, you have the opportunity every day to practice radical, subversive, surprising grace every day to the people that don't look like us, to the people that don't have the ideology we have, to the people that from our vantage point just don't, what, deserve it. And it's hard. It's hard. And so, I don't know what diners you eat at, but if you're eating at the diner that is consumed with all these cultural things that shape us and you feel some tension in your soul, good. Because as a follower of Christ, if you don't feel any tension, you're giving in and eating at the wrong diner. The tension's good. Or maybe it's like my old friend, the farmer, 
old Joe, the farmer, lived way out in the countryside. And he had one good neighbor all his life. One day, his neighbor's, his cow, went over into his neighbor's property. They'd never shared a fence. They've always been friends. Both of their wives had passed away and all they had with each other now. So old Joe, the farmer, goes over, says, hey, neighbor, that's my cow you got there. And for some reason, his neighbor was just a little bit cranky that day and said, Joe, that's not your cow, that's mine. Joe says, no, 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 I didn't recognize the markings here. That's my cow. No, no, that's not your cow, that's mine. And, and Joe just was torn up on the inside. They'd been friends a long time. Joe just sort of shrugged his shoulders and walked away, but was seething inside, angry. And a cloud came over his spirit and stayed there for several days. And they didn't talk to one another for a long time. One day, Joe's neighbor saw Joe out there with a tractor, and he had cut a furrow a furrow, a ditch, all between his property and his neighbor's property and flooded it with water. And the cloud grew darker in Joe's spirit. One day, a carpenter came along looking for some work. Joe answered the door. You got any work for a carpenter to do around here? Joe said, well, not, you know, I do. I want you to see that furrow down there filled with water? On this side of it, I'd like for you to build a wall so I can't see my neighbor's house. The carpenter said, well, sir, I can do that. You, you get me the lumber and I'll be glad to do that. Well, old Joe went to town. And he came back. And his old pickup, beat up pickup, came over the hill, crest of the hill, and headed right toward his house. And he noticed there was no wall. There was a bridge across the furrow. Joe started walking toward him and he saw his neighbor coming out of his, off of his front porch headed right toward that bridge. They made, met each other in the middle of it and his neighbor said, Joe, I am so sorry that was your cow. I thank you for building this bridge. Joe didn't intend to build the bridge. He looked at the old carpenter and said, man, you've done some good work here. And, and you know, they hugged each other and they were sorry and the old carpenter Kind of looked at him, nodded, gathered up his tools. He said, hey, wait, where are you going? He said, oh, I, I don't have time to stay here. The old carpenter said, I have a lot more bridges to build. A lot more bridges to build. It's a carpenter that saved us. It's a carpenter that loves us. It's a carpenter that said, 
The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. Will you practice the radical, subversive, surprising grace of God with people in Porsches and those at gas stations needing a day's work? It's your choice. It's really a choice between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of this world. And I am grateful that I feel this tension in my soul in the middle of the night. And I pray that tension is God calling me to build bridges. How about you? Our elders, they're they're my elders too, you know, are here available in the wings to pray with you if you're losing sleep and losing the battle. If we can help you and pray with you, come as we stand and sing.